Hey guys, this is Nikki Heaton, and you are listening to the second episode of Nikki Unfiltered. So this episode, I wanted to talk about the early years kind of becoming Nikki Heaton. So I decided on this topic for a few different reasons. Uh, One being a lot of my fans that have been around since the very beginning messaged me saying, please just start from the beginning. Just tell us all about your childhood. Tell us what led you to this point right now, just so we can get to know you better and feel like we can be closer to you. So the second reason that I chose this topic is a lot of people ask me, how did I get to this point in my life? How did I get to this point in my career? How did I achieve all the things that I've achieved so far? How did I get that music video, the gold record, two EPs out? How did I do all that? And I feel like in order to answer that question adequately, I kind of have to go back and kind of explain the certain things I went through in my life that molded me into the person that was able to take these challenges and not only survive them, but prevail. And then the third reason that I chose this topic is over the course of me being in the public eye and having this platform, I have disclosed numerous things about, you know, my childhood, my upbringing, the hardships, the obstacles that I've faced, the heartbreaks that I've faced, and I know I'm not the only one who's been through these things. So in an effort to not only make someone else feel like they're not alone, that there's someone else out there who felt exactly what they're feeling right now, but also... I can show them that there's a way out. I can show them that these things that they think are so horrible and so terminal and are changing them for the worse, I can show them that it's a lesson. And in some cases, those horrible things I went through, they paved the way for who I am today and what I was able to achieve. And if I wouldn't have gone through them, I wouldn't be the person that I am, and I'm so grateful for every single horrible thing that I went through. So that is why I chose this topic, so if you're interested, keep listening. Okay, starting from the beginning. (laughs) This feels so weird. I don't really like talking about myself, um, especially feeling like this is an autobiography, so if I seem awkward uh, or uncomfortable, I am. (laughs) So... Like I said, my name is Nikki Heaton. I was actually born Nicolay Alita Heaton. Um, I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago, Illinois. Um, I was born to two parents, mom and dad. Uh, I had two older siblings. My sister was nine years older than me. My brother is four and a half years older than me. I grew up pretty much lower middle class, I would say. In a lot of ways, my family was pretty normal. But in a lot of ways, we were extremely different. I grew up with two parents who struggled with alcoholism. uh, And that's something that I saw on a daily basis. I wasn't really shielded from it. I was very much aware of what was going on around me. Um, Thank goodness that um, my mom is actually a recovering alcoholic. She got sober when I was seven years old, and I am very, very proud of her. Um, I cannot say the same for my father. Uh, So that's something, you know, pretty huge that I feel like shaped me into who I was. So at, you know, at four years old, I had a very uh, 
I had a much higher level of awareness than any four-year-old should. I wasn't oblivious or naive or innocent or I didn't have, I didn't have that type of childhood. I was pretty much an adult by the age of six. Um, aside from the struggles that my parents were dealing with, I also had a terminally ill older sister. Um, so my sister was diagnosed with cancer when she was three. So by the time I was born, that's, that's just what it was. That's what, you know, the normal day to day was. My sister was very, very sick. That's all I ever, ever knew. So my family was constantly in and out of the hospital, taking care of my sister. That's just what it was. And I was very used to it. I was very used to not getting attention, um, not being the center of attention by any means, being forgotten, um, being isolated to an extent, being overlooked and being the youngest. That was very, very hard because, you know, I wanted everything to be about me, but that's, that's not the reality of things. Um, yeah. So two parents with addiction, a sister with cancer, um, from a very young age, I developed a complex that no one ever wanted to hear what I had to say. I felt silenced from a very young age. I felt that I was very invisible. I felt that I wasn't important enough to have anything to say or be worthy of being heard. So I was diagnosed with severe depressive disorder and a severe anxiety disorder at the age of seven. Um, that's when I started going to therapy and that never helped because <laughs> these therapists treated me like I was a little kid and they're like, do you want to draw a picture for me? And I'm like, Sue, we don't have to do this. You know, I have a lot going on. I, I don't think you're up to this task anyway. Um, <laughs> that's, I swear I'm not, I'm not making this up. I was a very strange kid. Um, I was very different in school. I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, and if I did, it was very short-lived because I had to pretend to be someone else. And then when my true self would come through, they're like, who is this weirdo? I don't want you to come over to my house. I don't know. It was, it was just very hard for me to be able to relate to kids my age because I had so much going on at home that they they couldn't comprehend, even if I tried to make them understand, you know? And why would they want to understand? They were having fun being a kid. I remember being in first grade specifically, and my teacher was like, hey, Nikki, like, it's it's recess. Don't you want to go outside and play? And I was like, actually, do you mind if I use your computer? Like, I actually, um, I I want to submit a poem for this contest. And she's like, oh, that's so cute. Um, is it is it for your church? Is it is it is it, you know, for kids your age? And I was like, no, it's an adult poetry contest. I think I have a really good chance, actually. And she's like, oh, like all my teachers, teachers were always, I, I was always getting sent to um, the counselor's office because they always thought I was being abused or like something horrible was happening just because I, I was so weird. I was so different. We would have creative writing class and these kids would be writing about cats and like a happy sun. And I would just be writing about like the unbelievably deep, dark sorrows of my heart. And they'd be like, holy shit, what is wrong with this child? So yeah, I was different in school. Didn't have, didn't have hardly any friends. Um, even the teachers thought I was weird. I was just, I was just very different. Um, and then when I was in seventh grade, I lost my sister. So being 12 years old and having something so catastrophic happen to you, I don't know, there's, there's really no words for it. And I guess in my case, it was even, it was even more horrible because it wasn't just, you know, my sibling, my sister was 
the eldest, she took care of my brother and I. She was, in a lot of sense, our mom, you know, because for most of my life, both my parents were very absent, even though they were right there. Um, my sister was my caretaker. She was my mom. She was my best friend. She was, you know, my warden. She was, she was everything. And being a little kid and, and watching someone you love so much be in constant torturous pain and to not be able to do anything about it, that does something to you. That does something to a child. There's no coming back from that, basically. You can't, you can't go to therapy and mend, mend something like that and make it all better. I remember being five years old and saying my prayers at night and they weren't, and they weren't the, the normal prayers of a five-year-old. I would, I would pray that God, please, please kill me instead. Don't take my sister. You know, she's already been fighting for so long, she doesn't deserve to die. If you have to take someone, take me. And I would pray that every single night. I would pray that God would kill me instead. I remember trying to write letters to convince the judge that I was old enough to donate my kidney and part of my liver because I was too young legally. Those were the components of my early childhood. It was very, it was, it was not normal. There was so much pain, there was so much loss, there was so much anger, there was so much isolation. I think the biggest part of who I am was not, not just losing my sister to cancer, but watching her fight for so long, watching her in such intense pain, such unending, unforgiving torture. And you know what I remember the most? is that I never ever heard her complain. I never ever heard her give up. I never heard her say, this is too hard, I wanna die. She kept fighting every single day she fought for her life, even if it was this horrible excuse for her life. A teenager shouldn't have to live like that. Teenagers shouldn't be in this excruciating pain every single day, but she, fought for that life. And I think seeing that instilled this quality in me that it didn't matter what I went through, it didn't matter what I felt, no matter how much pain I was in, I was never going to give up. Because that's, that's the example that she set for me. She taught me that no matter what, you don't give up. You don't lay down and die, you don't just take it. You fight so I would say the biggest turning point of my life was being 12 years old and going into the hospital and the doctor is telling me that I had to say goodbye to my sister because they were going to turn off the machines. So I went up to the hospital bed and I, and I took her little tiny hand and I made her a promise. I promised her that I would make this up to her. I promised her that I would live the life that got taken away from her. I would do all the things that she wanted to do. I would do the most extraordinary things. I would do something legendary. I would change the world for her. I promised that I not only would live my own life to the fullest, but I would live for her as well. I would live the life that she got cheated out of. 
I promised her that I would be the angel that saved someone else's life, even if I couldn't save hers. And one of the last things I said, I said, I, I know, I know your body can't take anymore. So I, I, I know I have to say goodbye. I know I'm not going to be able to see you like this anymore. I know that um, your body needs to rest now. But I said, just stay with me for a little while. Keep your spirit with me. Keep your soul with me. Live through me because I want to show you things. I want to take you on stage with me. I want you to live through me. I want you to feel and experience all the things that I'm going to experience because I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for you. And she was gone that night. I wasn't much of a child before that point, but that's when everything really, really changed. That's when a piece of me kind of turned cold and hard. If there was ever a little bit of a child in me before that, she was gone at that point. But it was also a good turning point because I, I realized who I needed to become and what I needed to do because I had made a promise that I needed to keep no matter what. That was the most important thing. Nothing else mattered. That was my new reason to live, to succeed, to achieve. It, it, it wasn't for my own selfish reasons. It was because I promised my sister that I would, I would do that for her. I promised my sister that I would live for her. And not just live any life, but live an unbelievably extraordinary existence. So after that, obviously, things were really hard. We had to adjust to a new way of living. And um, sadly, we we didn't come together as a family after that. It didn't, um, it didn't make us appreciate each other more and draw closer. We kind of all separated even, even more. You would think that... Um, Losing a sibling, losing a child, that would, um, that would kind of fix everyone's priorities and make you realize what's really important and how we should be spending our time. And, uh, that's not how things happened after that. None of us were really able to grieve properly because, um, after my sister passed, my brother kind of spiraled. Um, he, he didn't handle her death well. I mean, <laughs> None of us did, but him especially. He went into a very, very deep depression and um, handled things with drugs and alcohol. And there were suicide attempts, and um, it was really horrible, obviously, for him. But what was even more horrible is that none of us really were able to grieve because it was one tragedy to the next. I kind of got lost after that. No one really knew I existed because it was my brother's turn, you know? We had to... We had to watch after him and make sure he was okay. Um, so I think that kind of fucked with me a lot, not being able to talk to my family or express how sad I was or find comfort in the fact that they were going through the same thing I was. You would have thought that that might have made us stronger. But sadly, that's not how things happened. So I became very, very isolated, unbelievably... <sighs> unbelievably alone. I really, I really didn't want to communicate with anyone. I didn't want to speak. I, um, I just, I became even more reserved than I already was. I kind of, I kind of closed into myself. So I kind of just bottled everything up. I never said anything. I never talked. I never said how I felt. I never, <sighs> I kept everything inside. 
And I think I might have gone insane or exploded if I had not had writing as an outlet. That's all I did was journal and write poetry and write stories. All I ever did was write because I didn't speak. And I would have books and books and books of poetry. I had been writing poetry since I was about four years old. That's when I had my first completed book that I had written. Um, and that was my coping mechanism. That was my escape, being able to pour out all of these feelings onto paper kept me sane. So then, well, to be honest, I actually started dabbling with the guitar um, back when I was like nine and a half, almost 10. Um, so I completely forgot to mention that my parents got divorced when I was six. So that just goes to show my state of mind. Uh, the divorce was nothing compared to everything else that was going on. So my mom obviously started to date after my parents got divorced and she was dating this one guy who was a musician and he was a guitar player. And I guess he was probably trying to impress her by being nice to me, but, um, he showed me a few chords on the guitar and I was so impressed. It was like, it was like falling in love. Not with the guy, with the guitar. <laughs> oh my God, let me make that clear. Um, he was playing these chords and I had never heard anything more beautiful in my entire life. It was like falling in love. And, um, I knew I had to learn and he showed me how to play my girl and that was it. I was like, can I borrow this? And he's like, you can have it. And I took the guitar upstairs and I taught myself how to play. And I set the poetry that I had been writing for all these years to music. And it was like for the first time in my life, I felt happiness. I felt like I could fly. That's the best way I can describe it. I found a part of me that was buried. I found the part of me that, I don't know, it, it was like, finding that part that was missing, that's when I truly came to life. That was huge. So by the time I was 12, I was competent enough at playing that I could, that I could actually express myself um, playing and singing at the same time. And that's when I realized that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I wanted to write music. I wanted to perform. I wanted to, <sighs> I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing these songs that I had been writing since I was four years old because it, it made me feel alive. It made me feel like for the first time in my life, I didn't care if people were listening because it was like I was finally free. And that's when I knew what I wanted to do with my life. So anyway, middle school and high school both. Oh my God, it sucked so bad. <laughs> I did not have an easy time in school. I was not popular. I didn't have friends. I was perceived as weird and fat and ugly and so many fun things. Um, yeah, I was, I was bullied. Um, I was mostly just bullied because I, I wasn't like anyone else. And I think that the kids around me knew that they could, they could sense that I, I wasn't like them. I didn't have the same interests. I, um, I had a much different level of awareness. I just didn't care about the things that they cared about because honestly, I, I, I wasn't like them. I had been through so much at that point that I couldn't relate to any of these kids. I didn't care about the trivial shit that they thought was important. I had, I had been through so much. I just didn't care. I couldn't relate to them. I, I wasn't like them. So I was weird. I never got invited to parties. I was never with the popular kids ever. I was weird. 
I was a recluse. I was a loner. I was always by myself. I was always reading. Um, I was a complete nerd. But what's funny is even the nerds didn't want to be my friend. I was like a nerd all by myself. Um, always on high honor roll. Always straight A's, winning every award that I could, especially if it had to do with arts and language. Yeah, complete nerd. But I knew that I had to try my hardest and do the best that I could do because I wanted to get out of that school as fast as possible. I wanted to graduate early and start my life. I knew I didn't want to be in this town. I, I knew I didn't want to graduate and go to community college, work at 7-Eleven, and then be a dental hygienist. Like, I, I would... Oh, my God. I remember being 13 years old and thinking, I can't live the rest of my life in a cubicle being told what to do. That's not me. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to be something different. I'm going to be the one in a million that people talk about. There's no way I can be like other people. I'm already so weird. Why would I have a normal life? Why would I do what everyone else does? That doesn't make sense. So I kept working really hard in school, getting the best grades that I could. I got a job when I was 15. Um, I first worked at Toys R Us, Babies R Us, and then I worked at Ace Hardware. I saved up and I got an iPhone when I was 16, and I started to record myself playing the guitar. I first uploaded some lullabies that I wrote. No one really cared. <laughs> and then when I was about 17, I think, I started to upload covers of other people's music. No one really cared. And then one day I did a cover of a rap song. Because, I mean, I always liked rap music. I'm not even really sure why I did it. I just felt like it. And instead of rapping the song, obviously, I was singing it. And I guess that was really different. And that cover kind of went viral overnight. Um, I uploaded it one night, and the next morning I was getting these emails, and I was like, what's World Star Hip Hop? I'm like, what is that? Who, can, can someone tell me like what that is? And it had been posted there, and it was going viral. And suddenly I was getting emails and calls from these record labels in New York. And they're like, hey, can you hop on a call? We'd love to fly you out and um, have a meeting with you. And I was like, uh, I'm in biology right now. I'm going to have to call you back. And that's when everything started moving quickly. Um, it was pretty much the beginning of my senior year. And I had checked out. I found a way to graduate six months early. I took my finals before I even learned any of the material. So yeah, I turned 18 the beginning of December. Graduated high school early, right before Christmas break, and then right after Christmas, I left. And my family did not understand. They weren't really supportive at all. Um, they were like, yeah, this is really cool, you're getting calls about label deals, but <laughs> are you sure it's real? Like, go have fun, but you'll be back within a month. And I was like, watch me. And I left. I had never left home before, but I just fucking left. You know, it's funny is I always think about this. The kids who were mean to me in high school, while they were at their senior prom, I was on stage performing with Snoop Dogg. That was my very first performance. But yeah, that's pretty much the breakdown of my early years, my childhood, um, order of events. That's really everything. So I guess one of the biggest takeaways from, you know, growing up the way I did and having the childhood that I had was realizing that I was so different. I'd be in class and I would look around the room and realize that I wasn't like anyone else in here. I was strange. I was weird. I was different. 
than everyone. So why would I live within the same limitations as them? Why would I set the same expectations on my life? We're not the same. Why would we do the same things? Why would I adopt other people's fears when we weren't the same type of person? So I guess owning that weirdness was one of the most vital things that I had to do. Because I think if I would have been too insecure in who I was as a person to realize that it was a strength instead of a weakness, it would have held me back instead of pushing me forward. I would have thought, oh my God, like I'm such a freak. Let me try harder to fit in. Let me try harder to be like everyone else and do what they're doing. If I would have done that, I would be still in my hometown working at 7-Eleven, not doing shit <laughs> because I would have been too terrified to be the person that I was destined to be. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy standing out and being a target and being a freak in other people's eyes. It wasn't fun. It wasn't cool to be different back then. But I knew it was what I had to do. If I wanted to achieve different results, if I wanted to if I wanted to succeed, if I wanted to achieve these unbelievable things, I had to I had to be unconventional. I had to be unlike everyone else. So yeah, it was easier, it was safer to try and fit in and fit the mold and blend with everyone else. Of course that's easier. But where was that going to get me? In order to be extraordinary, I had to be nearly broken. I had to be forged by fire. As cliche as that sounds. Another question I kept getting in relation to this topic was um, mostly from young girls asking me how I had the strength to leave. They tell me that they're in a similar position, that they have these unbelievable dreams that they, that they want to achieve so badly, but they're afraid. They're afraid to leave home. They're afraid to take that leap of faith and do something that their families don't agree with, that um, seems too far-fetched. They ask, where did I find the strength to leave? And honestly, when I think about it, my dreams were bigger than any fears I may have had. My desire to achieve was more potent than the insecurities that kept me from trying. The person that I had created deep within myself was stronger than the person that I needed to leave behind. Compared to that fire that was literally raging inside of me, everything else was insignificant. So... It wasn't, how could I leave? It was, how could anything possibly keep me? I think as human beings, one of our greatest faults is that we tend to look at hardships and obstacles and heartbreak and loss as these horrible things being done to us. And we so easily lay down and play victim and say, woe is me and use it as an excuse to not fight. Because it's easier. It's easier to say, but look at these wounds, how do you expect me to go on? We accept these limitations that are placed upon us. We're told that we can't do things. I never liked being told what to do. So every time someone told me no, it made me fight a hundred times harder. I loved proving everyone wrong. I think the greatest gift that anyone ever gave me 
was telling me that I couldn't do it. Of all the terrible things that ever happened to me in my life, being alone, being ignored, losing my sister, losing my childhood, being bullied, every single one of those horrible things, they're like battle wounds on me. And when I would look down at my arms and they'd be scarred and bleeding and I'd be torn to pieces, I wouldn't look at that as a defeat. I wouldn't look at that as an excuse to lay down and die. I would see it and I would be ignited. I would be unbelievably motivated because look at, look at these scars, look at them. And I'm still standing. And you know, every bit of pain that I went through, every, every obstacle placed in my way, all the adversity that I faced, I didn't see it as a reason to quit. I saw it as fuel to keep burning. And you know, my sister taught me that. Every operation she had to endure, every scar on her body, every tube placed in her, every day that she spent fighting through the pain, every day that I saw that, she turned me into a warrior. She showed me that there's literally no excuse. You can't use hardship or heartbreak or pain or any obstacle you face. You can't use that as an excuse to quit. You use that as reason to keep fighting. She never gave up. She never once gave up. And that's why I never will. I hope this answers your question about why I am the way I am, where I found the strength to fight. I hope that there is someone out there who needed to hear this and can maybe adopt a little bit of my strength and use it to fight. There is literally nothing that can stop you from achieving your dreams. No limitations. The only thing standing between you and what you want is yourself. You can do fucking anything. I promise.